and uh, we'll pick up where we left off last week and uh, we'll kind of frame it like this. In light of everything we've seen about Israel and about the idolatry and the idolatry of the nations around them and how the uh, nations worship gods that are dead. Remember, they're dead. They can't speak. They can't hear. They can't think. They can't touch. They can't do anything like that. And uh, that leads me to the title of this one. Doesn't it just make sense for God's people to trust the Lord? And yet Israel continually in the Old Testament had trouble with that, didn't they? But to be fair, the guy you're looking at and listening to tonight has the same problem. And I would uh, probably lay money on the fact that uh, you have the same problem. It's so easy to veer off of trusting God. And no wonder we have to be told, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we forget that sometimes. We act like that we're just supposed to live, and when we've done everything we know to do, then we turn to the Lord. And yet, we're the same people that everybody in this room, if I were to get up here and say, God helps those that help themselves. How would you respond to that? No. It's because we know better than that. Now, there are a lot of people that don't know better than that. And there are some places and some churches and some people I could say that. And I get an amen or two out of that. And yet it is a horrible thing because God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless and the hopeless by His grace. It's His strength and His power that we need. Okay, I know that. So, when I have trouble, a water heater recently went out at our house. So, what is the first reaction that you have when something like that happens? Oh no, not again. Not again. We had just gone through that thing where Mama Lou's house flooded and I'm thinking in terms of dollar signs and all of that. What in the world are we going to do with this? Why is this happening? That type of thing. And instead of just trusting the Lord that he knew about this before it ever happened, that he's going to take care of us, that type of thing, what do we do? We get angry. We get upset. Sometimes we get in despair. All of that happens because of a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God. And then we also think about all of the things that make us happy in our life that make us feel secure in our life i wonder what some of those things are in your life that if this is present if this is happening if this is something that i can see then i i feel pretty good i feel pretty good if not then i'm feeling pretty lousy and you might just be identifying a thing that you tend to kind of stray like the people of Israel did to trust in something. What is, your, what is it? Is it a bank account? What is it? Is it having family and friends around? What, what might it be? Having the, uh, uh, everything perfectly in place? You get rattled when things are out of place or things don't quite go your way? How about this? Remember... Uh, Watching the A-team, remember that? And you remember what the leader, the George Papard guy was? I uh, forgot his name. Hannibal or something like that, wasn't it? And what was it he said at the end of every episode? I love it 
when a plan comes together. Yeah, you people are carnal and watch that. So, uh, love it when a plan comes together. Well, don't we all? Don't we all? But what happens when the plan doesn't come together? It stresses us out. It may, fills us with anxiety when the Bible says we're to be anxious for nothing, but rather with praise and thanksgiving make our requests known to God. And sometimes we come to God like He's messed up, like He's kind of, um, you know, loafing or something like that. Do you remember all of those taunts that Elijah made about the, uh, uh, the god Baal at Mount Carmel? And all of the prophets of Baal, they are, you know, dancing and flailing around and calling out to their God. And uh, Elijah just starts kind of mocking them. Maybe, maybe he's gone out for a while. Maybe he's gone to the restroom. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe, uh, speak a little louder. Maybe he's hard of hearing. Remember all of that? We read that and it kind of, you know, makes you feel good to know that he did that. But at the same time, how often do we treat our God like the prophets of Baal were treating their God? And there's no reason to do that. And so we act like God is hard of hearing, that God is unaware, that God is distracted, that God is frustrated, that God is flustered, you know, that type of thing. And uh, yet we know that that's not true. Everybody in here knows it. And yet we don't always act like it. Well, we're in good company because that's the way Israel was all through the Old Testament. We look at them and say, why didn't they believe God? It's a good question. After all he had done for them. But I have a better question. Why don't you believe God? He's done far more for you in sending his son to die on the cross and displaying his love. We all know uh, what the Bible says in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what is the first thing? God so loved the world. And that's why he sent his son. Well, you think about in the Romans road. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But don't raise your hand or anything. How often do you tend to kind of doubt a little bit the love of God? And sometimes we look at other people and we go, Well, I know God loves me, but He must love them a little bit more than He loves me. And we tend to doubt that. We tend to wonder, Well, that works for other people, but it doesn't work for me. That's one of my lines that I come up with from time to time. And yet God is always faithful, and it only makes sense to trust in the Lord. And so you and I are just being senseless when we don't. Sometimes people say, well, faith is just a leap into the dark. No, no, it's not. Faith is a leap into truth. Faith is a leap into reality. Faith is a leap into something solid. And that's where we stand. All other ground, of course, is sinking sand and that's not where we want to be so i would invite you to look at psalm 115 and begin reading at verse 9 because after all of the stuff about the idols the psalmist says oh israel trust in the lord you know when we read romans 12 1 and 2 
where it says, But I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And then he makes that statement, which is your reasonable service. In other words, it's an act of worship that is only reasonable when you think about who God is. Don't you hear that here? Verse 9, O Israel, trust in the Lord. I mean, it's only the reasonable thing to do. Let's continue on. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, and by the way, just so you'll know, uh, that's making a reference to Gentiles who have converted. They're proselytes into uh, the Jewish faith, kind of like Nebuchadnezzar was in uh, Sunday school. You who fear the Lord, you, you proselytes, you Gentiles, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Verse 12. The Lord has been mindful of us. Another psalm says, His thoughts toward us outnumber the sands of the sea. He has been mindful of us, and He will bless us. And He will bless the house of Israel, the nation. And He will bless the house of Aaron, the priest and the Levites. And He will bless those who fear the Lord, the God-fearing Gentiles who turn to the true and the living God, and then how, how much or how many of those people are going to get the blessing? He says both small and great. The big shots and the little shots, right? The uh, well-known and the nobodies. The spiritual and the other people that feel like they are just like the publican in the temple, just the worst sinners on earth. God blesses people who repent of their sins and who trust in them, in Him. And he does the same for us. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Paul says. And so when we think about our blessings, God forgive us when we think of our blessing as attached to keys. A house, a car, a storage unit or something like that. That is a blessing, but not really our blessings. That's not where the value is. In other words, that's not where the power is. The power and the value of our life is in Jesus Christ. And the blessing of knowing this God who created the universe with a word, knowing Him personally. It's the value and the power of knowing that Christ, the second member of the Trinity, went to the cross on our behalf and took the wrath of God that we deserve so that we don't have to. Boy, there's value in the sacrifice of Christ and power in trusting Him as Savior and Lord. And then to think that this God who created everything and sent His Son to die for us, when we trust Him as Lord and Savior, what else happens? The third member, the third person of the Godhead, God Himself, comes to indwell us, never to leave us, never to forsake us, and we are permanently indwelt by the same God that spoke the universe into existence. The same God that sent His Son to die for us now has come to live within us permanently. So we have power to face every situation of life. I wish I could remember that. I wish I could lean upon that. 
in every situation. I wish I could be like some of the people I've read about and some of the people in the Bible. In fact, the more we study the life of Daniel in Sunday school, the more impressed I am with him. We're going to start this Sunday looking at the part that talks about the lion's den and all of that, but there's a lot leading up to that. And then it dawned on me that when we leave Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and those guys, he's significantly younger than he is when we find him in the 6th chapter. In the 6th chapter, Daniel is somewhere around the age of about 82. And all you find in his life, from a teenager when he is taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and brought to Babylon, and his name is changed, the culture is changed, and he's given food that he's not supposed to eat and all of that, what does he do as a teenager? He stays faithful to God. What does he do when he is called before the king and he is told uh, and he's told by the king's representative get ready to die because none of the wise men can interpret the king's dream they can't even tell him what it is and Daniel is faithful he said give me a while to go and spend some time with my God and I'll give you the interpretation and he does and you don't find him getting the big head. You don't find him getting proud and arrogant. You don't find him doing anything like that. Just faithful, 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 faithful. You remember when the handwriting on the wall comes and Belshazzar said, if you can tell me what it says and what it means, you'll be the third ruler in the kingdom wearing a purple robe with a gold chain around your neck signifying your rank and your identity. And Daniel's response was, give it to somebody else, keep it. He was never impressed with any of those things because he knew the temporary nature of even the great Babylonian empire. Oh, if we could only understand, everything we think is so important here is just temporary. That's why John said in his epistle, the world is passing away. So while this world is passing away before our very eyes, what are we going to do? Back to the title. Be sensible. It only makes sense to trust God. So... Here's the way I divided this up and what I want us to think about tonight. Number one, it only makes sense for the people of God to actually trust in God. I mean, it must get tiring to the Lord and it must grieve the Holy Spirit to have so many of us all over the world, it's not just us, but all over the world, we trust God and we're ready to go to heaven when we die but we can't trust Him with our relationships. When we read something in the Bible about what we're supposed to do, I talked to somebody just the other day, and I said, this is what a Christian husband is supposed to do. I did that. She won't respond to it. No, no, that's not the deal. You don't do it and check it off, and then God makes something happen. You do it over and over and over and over and over again. And his response... Well, how long? He said, if you love her, Jacob served for Rachel 14 years, didn't he? Well, that never registers with guys like that because they're ready to get it fixed like that or they're going to move on. Why is it that we look at those kind of things that God says in His Word and our first reaction is, 
whoo, I'm not sure that'll work. Well, that's a great faith statement, isn't it? And that's what Israel constantly did. And they constantly wanted something or someone they could see. And so, whether they're in the wilderness of Sinai, right after they cross the Red Sea, and Moses is up on the mountain, they go to Aaron and say, make us gods that we can follow, that we can serve. And so he does, and behold, the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. How blasphemous was that? Because they had to have something they could see. Just faith is not enough. All you have is faith like that, some kind of a liability, like that makes you dumb or stupid or something like that. They always wanted that. Later on, you remember what it was like? Well, we know we have God, but we would rather have a king we can see lead us into battle. And Samuel got so upset with the people, and you remember God told Samuel, Samuel, don't be upset. They haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. Why was that? Because they wanted someone they could see to lead them into battle. I know we've got God, but, but boy, we would really have something if we had a king. And so they chose a king that was a head taller than everybody else. Man, he will look good leading us into battle. And as you know, Saul was an unmitigated disaster to the people of Israel. Why do we do that? And why do we keep in day-to-day life with the choices we make, with the reactions that we have? I don't know about you. I have a tendency every time to choose Saul instead of David. What do you mean by that? Well, it's just easier to get angry with somebody than it is, and that's choosing a Saul, than it is to do what's right and rejoice in the Lord always. And in everything give thanks and to glorify God. It's just easier to choose Saul to doubt God and go, well, I'm not sure this is going to work out, and I don't see any way it's going to work out, and anybody that tells me that it's going to work out is just going to annoy me. I'm choosing Saul instead of choosing David. And we do that in so many ways, and Israel just kept on choosing a metaphorical Saul instead of a metaphorical David, which is God's ways, over and over and over. So they end up in Babylon for 70 years, and they come back, and they still have to be reminded, you may never bow down to a physical idol again, but you still have idols in your heart. And the book of Ezekiel mentions the idols of the heart, and that's where we really battle everything. And so I think about that, and I go... If any lost person were to come here tonight and we could interview them, maybe a flat-out atheist, and we were to say, Sir, ma'am, what would you expect a Christian to do? And they probably would say, Well, if I believed in Christ and I believed in the existence of God and I committed my life to it, I would expect it's only sensible for a Christian to trust the God that they praise that they say exists. And so what we need to do tonight for all of us is we need to, as Paul told Timothy, exercise ourselves rather to godliness. Now exercise is not fun. And if you've ever been in a position where I have to where you're so weak it's hard to get up out of a chair and then the doctor says, I want you to walk. And initially they said 45 minutes every day. You kidding me? To walk 45 minutes? I can't even hardly walk to the bathroom. 
much less to go out for 45 minutes. So what do you do? Well, you get your wife and you get your son and you have them walk you outside. I don't even remember how far we got the first day, but at one day... Uh, we got out to a neighbor's mailbox, and that's as far as it, it would go. i got to go back, got to go back. But over time, it started adding to all of that. That's what you do in exercise. Because if you try to do it all at once, you'll never get it done. And I think some people try to exercise their faith and exercise uh, themselves unto godliness, and they try to tackle the book of Revelation in the next week. And that's not going to happen. Maybe you ought to put it down into bite-sized chunks. Maybe you ought to take a few baby steps, Dave Ramsey would say. And as you start taking those steps, and as things start making sense to you, don't try to pray an hour if you want to strengthen your uh, prayer life. Most of you, it would be just better if you could spend 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in prayer. And then over time, you get to the point to where you are so in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, you're not even aware of how long you were praying. And there'll be sometimes you'll pray short, there'll be sometimes you'll pray long, and you'll enjoy and be refreshed by the fellowship with God. But don't try to tackle it all at once. Exercise doesn't work that way. You don't go in and start lifting, uh, trying to bench press 500 pounds your first day in the gym. That would kill you. And uh, you don't want to do those type of things. And so when we think about how we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, take the baby steps, and it's only reasonable for the children of God to actually trust in God. And that means in the small things first. The everyday things first. What if we actually thought and prayed Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, there's my baby step of faith. And then I go into uh, the kitchen, and there I find that there is food prepared for me for breakfast. Okay, that ought to be something that registers in my mind. I just prayed about that, and look what God did. And instead of our flesh going, ah, you had that already. Ah, that's just normal. Ah, that's no big deal. No, your spirit needs to rise up and say, hush. That's an answer to prayer. And, uh, well, it was already in the pantry before I even prayed. Well, have you never read where it says that the Father knows your needs before you ask? That doesn't mean you don't ask. It just means you are thankful for a father who sees to your needs before you even realize they're in need. And it's training our minds to start thinking like that in the little things that will transform us into everything that we want to be. You can't get there today or tomorrow. It's a process. Take the baby steps. And if you've been walking with God for a while and you go, I'm kind of tired of baby steps, okay, then take a little bit more and push it just a little bit, but don't try to bite off more than you can chew or you'll get discouraged and then you know what will happen? The idols pop up again in the heart and you'll be in trouble. Let's move on. I think you've uh, uh, gotten enough of that in all of those verses that we see. Number two, it only makes sense for the people of God to remember. You know, we uh, forget 
so easily what God has done for us. You know that thing that you uh, almost wanted to dance? If you hadn't been a good Baptist, you probably would have. And uh, you wept and you laughed. And it was so incredibly kind of God to answer that prayer. You remember that? Probably all of us have an experience like that. Maybe even more than one. Yeah, but what have you done for me lately? You know, God's done enough for all of us, not only in saving our souls, but there have been prayers that you have had answered that made you ecstatic. And in fact, when you were praying, you almost said, Lord, if you will answer this prayer about my son or my daughter or my husband or my wife, I won't ask you for anything else. That'll be enough. That's all I really need. And God did it. And then here you are going back on your word. And it wasn't really all you needed. Because we have really short memories. So when we think about that and we consider what Israel had been to, it only makes sense for the people of God to remember the Lord has been mindful of us. I don't want you to think about it. Israel. They were slaves in Egypt. Well, there were lots of slaves. And I wonder if there weren't other slaves of other ethnic groups in Egypt. But certainly, slavery has been a part of, of humanity from the, uh, almost from the beginning, hasn't it? It wasn't just here in America, and we didn't invent it. It's been going on for a long, long time. But for some reason... This God who is so powerful looked down in Egypt, heard their groaning, and he said, I'm going to work in them and I'm going to deliver them. Now, there were tons of people all over the world that he didn't deliver, but he did deliver them. And then he brought them out and he took them through the Red Sea and he drowned the Egyptian army there. Do you remember how excited they were? Oh, they got out Miriam and the others got out the timbrels. And I mean, they are dancing and singing. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Remember that? How long was it before they said, Moses, what have you done? You brought us out here to die? Oh, that we had stayed in Egypt. Egypt was so wonderful, wasn't it? Boy, I can't believe they were like that. can't believe you're like that. I can't believe I'm like that. That's a good place for an oh me instead of an amen, isn't it? Because that's what we do. No wonder we're powerless. No wonder we're weak. No wonder we're not filled with faith. No wonder we're not more... Uh, more impactful on a lost and dying world and that type of thing because when you think about this our faith is probably much smaller than we would even like to admit if we could see it i had uh one time i did something in school that was uh apparently it, it was kind of dumb because the teacher told me he said keenan if you had a brain you could not propel an ant's motorcycle around the inside of a Cheerio. What do you think he was trying to tell me? I think sometimes if faith were really the fuel of our soul, how far would we really get? How far would we get? And I think sometimes it would be much smaller 
than we would ever like to admit. And so all of these things, the Lord has been mindful. He'll bless us. He'll bless the house of Israel, the nation. He'll bless the house of Aaron, the priests, the leaders, the examples. And he will bless those who fear the Lord. He's even going to bless those dirty, ham-eating Gentiles who turn to the Lord, right? And so uh, we need to remember the past. And we need to remember those things that he has done. And, and we need not to abandon them and forget about them so quickly. The same God loves you just as much now as he did back then when he answered those prayers. Okay, let's go on to number three. It only makes sense for the people of God to honor their God. Okay, we, we said earlier that we ought to trust him. That's true. And you know what else we ought to do? We ought to honor him in all situations. In all uh, circumstances, we ought to be honoring the God. So we tap our atheist friend again and we say, well, what, what do you think that the people of God ought to think about their God, the way they ought to speak about their God, and the way they ought to even feel about their God? And our atheist friend would probably say, well, if I believed in God, and I believed in Him like you believe in Him, and I think about a God who created everything and yet so big to fill the entire universe, and yet small enough to pay attention to you and to live in you. He goes, I think I would be honoring that God, praising that God, glorifying, we might say, that particular God. I think that would make sense to everybody else if they are watching us. They would say, it only makes sense for you to honor God. And yet we find ourselves so often, like ancient Israel, dishonoring our God. I wonder what the Canaanites thought. Now the Canaanites, as they kept kind of bugging the Jews and saying to them, um, Hey, come, come on, you, know, you ought to come over to our temple sometime. Come to one of our feasts sometime. They would constantly be doing that. I wonder what they really thought the first time a Jew came to one of their feasts they probably said hey man glad you finally came to where the life is going for the gusto right but i wonder if inside they were probably going yeah i thought so another phony another hypocrite and so when the lost world even people in our own family when they see us not acting like christians dishonoring god by the way that we live by the way that we talk by our attitude or by our sinful actions it might be that with their mouth they say uh, yeah finally loosen up not as legalistic have a little fun it's okay nobody really thinks anything of it but deep inside if they're going thought so thought so you know you're not really any different than anybody else your god doesn't really make that much difference in the way that you live and so we dishonor god and we ruin our testimony in front of all of these things like israel did time and time and time again and generation after generation after generation of canaanites think about the book of judges they looked and they said uh yeah and about the time the Jews would have a revival and say, The Lord, He is our God, the Canaanites would go, Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how long this lasts. And so uh, that's kind of where we live. It only makes sense for the people of God to honor God 
And by that I mean like Daniel being faithful to him, past the emotion, past the stirring, past the experience that we have, just to think about God, respecting his power, respecting his perfection, and respecting even his discipline toward us. You know, I used to get aggravated with my kids when I would say something like this. How many times have I told you? How many times do I have to tell you? If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Not to exaggerate, but isn't that the way we are? What could our God say to us? We need to respond and to respect His discipline because He disciplines us because He loves us. Okay, number four. It only makes sense for, and notice I've emphasized this word, for all of the people of God to honor Him. All of the people of God to honor Him. Because this little section we looked at says both small and great. I mean, the psalmist is mentioned in here the nation of Israel, the whole nation. They all have Abraham's DNA in them. They all are under that covenant. The priests and the Levites ought to especially be thinking about that, right? And the God-fearing Gentiles that have come to know uh, Yahweh through their witness, you know, all of them are supposed to be doing this. Now, here's the thing that I've noticed so often. Oh, you go to do a funeral. You meet with the family. The family gathers around the kitchen table and you start asking them questions. What, what was your uh, grandma like? Oh, oh, we can tell you about grandma. Oh, man, she could cook. Okay, that's good. And I'll write that down. Uh, what, else, what else about grandma? Oh, she really liked a joke. She liked to play practical jokes, and she liked it. When I, okay, she was a joker kind of thing. Uh, what else about Grandma? Oh, boy, she had the best tulips and begonias in the county. Oh, she won a blue ribbon. Let me show it to you at the county fair. Okay, she liked to garden, and you get all of those kind of things. Do you know how many times I have to push and push and bring it up for the family to give me anything spiritual about grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or aunt or uncle or anything like that? It's almost, almost never the first thing out of their mouth when they sat down to plan the service. That bothers me. That bothers me. I, I hope that by the time I get ready to go be with the Lord, that when my children and grandchildren are asked by somebody about my life, that the first thing is not about something so superficial. You know what I'm saying? And so many times we don't really think that our lives matter all that much. Oh, now, 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 now the preacher, that's different. Now, if Grandpa was a preacher, that'd be different in the way that he's supposed to live. Or if he was a deacon, that would be different. You ever thought like that? Or if he was a Sunday school teacher, sometimes I hear about somebody, they fell into sin, and they were a deacon. Well, what does that matter when it really comes down to it? I mean, it does matter. Don't get me wrong. But what does it matter when it really comes down to it? 
because we think that there are some who are supposed to obey, some who trust the Lord, some who remember what he does, some who honor God and all of that, but not me. I'm, I'm not one of, one of them, so I, I don't really have to do it. I'm just an average Joe, you know, lunch bucket Joe kind of guy, and so nobody expects me to do that. And so I live accordingly and then wonder why nobody brings up my walk with God the way that I would want them to bring it up. Because the psalmist mentions here that in honoring God, it's supposed to be who? Not just the priest. Not just the rich people, not just the big shot, not just the leaders in the synagogue, or we would say leaders in the church, both small and great. The insignificant as well as the celebrity. Those who follow as well as those who lead. Those who are public as well as those who are more private and reserved. Doesn't matter, we're supposed to all praise the Lord and to bless the Lord and honor the Lord because we're equal before the Lord and we also have the same commands to follow. I want you to uh, do a little exercise with me and we'll be done. If you'll turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay. Well, this is uh, not written to me. I'm not a pastor. No, it's all written to you. All written to you. 1 Timothy 3. Now, when he gives the requirements of a pastor, uh, by the way, don't let the word bishop throw you in here because elder, bishop, and pastor are all used interchangeably in the New Testament. Okay? Same thing. So it says a bishop, an episcopos, an overseer then, he must be blameless. I'm glad he didn't say perfect. Blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but uh, not covetous, and uh, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice or a new believer, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and snare the devil. Now, those are the requirements to be an elder, to be a pastor. Okay? Uh, let me ask you a question. Which one of those can you show me in the Bible that you are not commanded to do somewhere else? There's your homework assignment for next week, okay? Show me in the Bible where it's okay for you to be covetous. Show me in the Bible where it's okay for you because you're not a pastor. You can be a, a, a quarrelsome person. Show me in the Bible where it gives you permission because you're not a pastor to get away with any one of these things. And see, if, if you do, you'll be showing me something because with all of my knowledge of the Bible and my understanding of it, those are things everybody ought to be doing. Okay, think about that. Everybody ought to be doing. Because let me just ask you a question. Who wouldn't want to be married to somebody who was like that? Who wouldn't want to follow and listen and get advice for somebody who was like that? Who wouldn't want to um, 
be counseled by somebody like that. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. Who wouldn't want a Sunday school teacher like that? Who would not want to have a deacon caring for them like that? I mean, this, this is the kind of thing that we need to look at because we understand that pastors and elders are supposed to be examples. In other words, we're supposed to be able to follow them. Well, what does that mean? We're becoming like them because they are doing all of this. You know what that's a roundabout way of saying? All of us are supposed to be doing this, and it's my job to model it. It's not that I have to do it and you don't. We all have to do it. It's just my job. I'm called by God to teach it and to show it. Now, if you put the word perfect in there, then I'll write out my resignation tonight. I'm glad it's not in there. But it's the thing I'm learning and growing just like you are. And we're walking together in all of this because we're supposed to be an example in it. And I think what breaks us down is the same thing that was happening in Israel. Well, as long as the priests are doing their thing and offering their sacrifices and saying their prayers, then it doesn't hurt if I and fill in the blank. And that's just not true. This particular section of the psalm is saying we've already exposed how ridiculous and idiotic it is to worship idols in any way, shape, or form because they are dead and powerless and you don't want to become like them. Now here's the reasonable thing. The sensible thing is get your life right with God and start living what you have always affirmed. And don't just leave it to the experts. Don't just leave it to the public people. Don't just leave it to the official holy men in the temple. No, no. This is something that we're all supposed to do because God wants to bless the nation and He wants to bless the priests and He wants to bless the people and He even wants to bless the Gentiles who have come to know the Lord. The uh, thing that I wanted to show you tonight as you probably didn't know this, but uh, I am a millionaire of sorts. Okay? Right here. Right here. You see it on the screen? Th this is this bill that's on the screen. I took a picture of it and put it up there. This is currency. Currency. Real, legitimate currency. Well, honestly, it's kind of like Confederate money now. It's uh, German. It's German. This, uh, somebody, the government in Germany, printed this out just like they print the money that you use. Okay? Legitimate money. It's a, it's, a, it's a mark. I don't think they called them Deutschmarks back then. Um, I, I don't remember. Reichsmark or something like that. This piece of paper that I hold in my hand will turn the tender age of 100 next year. It was printed in 1923. And its value, it says on here, is fünf Millionen. Five million marks. And it is mine. Except that I looked on eBay and it goes for $5. But I don't care. I wasn't making an investment. Wouldn't that be terrible if I were making an investment in that? Wouldn't it be terrible if when I was over in Germany I said, Ooh, I'm going to put all of my money into all of this kind of stuff and I will be rich one of these days. You can see on the picture there 
A friend of mine whose grandmother was German, she talked about having a whole wheelbarrow full of these to buy a loaf of bread. You think our inflation's rough? That was bad. That was in the Weimar Republic between the end of World War I when Germany was decimated and the rise of Hitler in the uh, 30s. And their money became so worthless they let kids play with it. I saw a picture in there of a German guy wallpapering his apartment with money because it was so incredibly worthless. What's the point? Well, here's the point. That's what it is whenever you don't trust God. You're investing in worthless money. You're putting your faith. Boy, this will keep me secure. Boy, if I have five million of these, I'll never want any. What? It's worth five bucks? What a worthless thing. Kind of cool, but it's worthless. And that's what it is whenever you and I trust in anything, including ourselves, other than the Lord. It's senseless for us to do that and that's what we need to see it's not just well it's only natural well everybody makes mistakes no no we need to get a different mindset about it lord i'm sorry that lack of faith was stupid you have better things and a better way and you deserve more than that out of me because you died for me please forgive me Father, we want to remember what the Lord Jesus said when he taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But we can't overlook the forgive us our debts. We owe you. And we act as though we don't. And we fall into sin so extremely easily. And oh, we may not be drinking and cussing. And we may not be committing adultery or anything like that. But you said, whatever is not of faith is sin. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, Lord, we're asking you to forgive us in the smallest, most minute things of our lives where we don't really follow you, trust you, and honor you. And, oh, forgive us for that second point when we just so quickly and easily forget all that you've done for us. It's convicting to think about this, but we're no better than the Israelis were. And that's why you had those things written, as Paul said, as an admonition for us. We need to take the warning so that we don't become like them because we could so very easily. And help us not to waste our life in pursuits and in things that are like this five million mark bill that end up being powerless and worthless. Oh Lord, you are greater than that and you deserve far more than that. Please forgive us, set us on a right course and let us take a baby step of faith even tomorrow that will become a normal, natural part of our life for the rest of our life and that we will move on from there. And we pray this, Lord, not only for us, but we pray it for our Hispanic ministry as they meet tonight. We pray that for our nursery and nursery workers tonight as they are meeting. We pray that for those who were in Awana tonight, that that might be just something that they learn and that they pick up on 
And we pray it for our students as they have done see you at the poll and as they're gathering at the park tonight with a lot of other churches and other people. May some great things happen all out of all of that. But our prayer is for us. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.